It recently dawned on us at Rural Roots of Climate Solutions that when you listen to the podcast, it's not always easy to figure out what the next episode to download is. We do cover a lot of different subjects. Just take the topic in this particular episode, alley cropping. Alley cropping, it's all about trees and agriculture. So if this is a topic that interests you, what we recommend is actually don't listen to this right now. Download episode four, which is all about agroforestry. It'll be a good introduction. Then listen to this episode and then follow this one up with episode 15, Ecosystem Goods and Services. Unless you're a tree farmer, trees probably aren't that high on the priority list of things for you to manage on your land. Probably the only time they're a priority is when they're in the way of equipment or they're in the way of a fence you want to build. I think most egg producers have an appreciation for trees. It's just figuring out how to work them into a management system. That's the tricky part. Trees, bushes, shrubs, they do trap moisture on your land, provide habitat for pollinators, and reduce wind speeds. So it is worth the time and effort to figure out what agroforestry system is the right fit for your land. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're taking a look at alley cropping. This podcast episode is the recording of my interview with Noel Saint-Jean, who is the Executive Director of the Agroforestry and Woodlot Extension Society of Alberta, most of us in the egg community, we know them as Oz. If you've ever been to a tree planting workshop, chances are it was led or co-organized by Oz. Oz has done work as far north as High Level and as far south as Lethbridge, which, you know, it's not bad for an organization that's only got three or four full-time staff. Now, I do have a confession to make. I spent most of my first year in Alberta, so 2017, complaining about the lack of trees that were here. At that time, I was out in uh, Paint Earth County, so East Central Alberta. Those who have known me since 2017, especially those people who are in the Young Agrarians graduating class with me that year, you're probably rolling your eyes right now and saying, yeah, of course Derek's going to do an episode on trees and agriculture. What can I say? Guilty as charged. And actually, this is our second episode on agroforestry. The very first one we did was one of the very first episodes we did with the podcast. This was with retired federal scientist Gary Bank, who gave us an overview of what agroforestry was. And I also do plan on doing another episode on civil pasture sometime in the near future. Anyway, before we jump into alley cropping, I asked Noel if there was anything he wanted to say about the COVID-19 crisis, and here's what he had to say. No, I think it's an interesting situation. I don't think in my lifetime I ever thought we'd have to go through these kind of kind of procedures and measures. Uh, but I guess, uh, you know, there's always a new one, and uh, just reading lately articles about the past epidemics. This one's definitely an extreme and it could be around for a long time. It just means it's going to change how we do business. And even this year for our planting projects, we're having to modify a lot of things that we hadn't done last year just to try to provide that safe working site 
and limit the spread of the of the virus. And you know, maybe there's good things about that. It'll modify some of the things we did in the past, improve them. But in the meantime, what is it creating to us as individuals and as a society? It's 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 an, a tremendous uh, change, isn't it? Me and Noel actually went on to have a really interesting conversation about his own experience in disease control in the forestry industry, obviously. He was actually part of the team that helped stop the spread of the spruce budworm. The spruce budworm is actually a moth that feeds on and kills spruce trees. We're going to try and make a point of giving our interviewees a chance to say something about COVID-19 and how it relates to agriculture or just how it relates to our lives from now on. Why? We're in a very unique moment in history right now, so we, we think it's important to give people a chance to say what's on their mind. Noel's going to give us a bit of a background on Oz as well as himself, but first things first, a little bit of sad news Noel is actually going to retire. Yes, I am in my in the process of actually, you know, sort of handing off the the responsibility to an, another individual. There's been a bit of a holdup in uh, in Oz hiring a new person, um, but uh, I will still stay around for a while as a senior advisor and work on on certain projects that uh, suit my interests, but also they feel that there's value in having my expertise. But uh, within the next six months, there should be a new person in as executive director for Oz. And hopefully that person can take Oz to the next level, which is, you know, a larger sort of program and a larger staffing level, larger budget, all that, because I think there is an opportunity in the future for Oz to be the primary service provider for shelter belt management in the province. And we would essentially replace what the provincial government and the federal government used to do. And then as, uh, as an individual landowner, you would come to Oz for professional advice, technical advice, and potentially project de- delivery. And municipalities would do the same thing. And they would also refer any of the landowners to Oz uh, to be that as that primary service provider. And we're working on building a package of information that would be on the Oz website, which would be the most current information on developing, establishing, and managing shelter belts and smaller woodlots. So that's kind of the big strategic plan for the organization. And if that happens, I can see Oz, you know, having to expand its footprint across the province. Well, Oz did get started as primarily trees. And it was for lands that were pretty dominantly forest cover. There was no real agriculture component until 2010 when the agroforestry and woodlot extension society was created. And at that time they moved from just managing trees for wood or woodlots. They incorporated the agroforestry part of it. And that's really been the, the bulk of what we've done since 2010. We've kind of moved away from woodlot management and done a lot more of um, uh, shelter belt management, uh, tree restoration work, riparian management, things like that. And, and predominantly on, private agricultural lands. And the program has expanded since 2010. We're probably about three to four times the size now as we were in 2010. In 10, there was only one employee and now we're up to three full-time employees pretty much. And this year is gonna be the same same as last year. And over the last six years, we planted over 200 some thousand trees. 
Well, I've been the director for three years, since 2017. And before that, I worked uh, private industry and government both, primarily in the forest industry. So I, I have a, an education in forest management. And I worked for the government for 20 some years doing that. And then also as a consultant in, in private industry for about 15 years on either side of the government um, employment. But it's been primarily working with and individuals and landowners and, you know, the natural resource itself. So, so I've been planting trees ever since 1969. So it's, <laughs> that's getting to be a few years. That was when I first planted trees. And I think I was 16 years old that year. So hmm. I won't, I won't tell you my age. I'll let you calculate that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, uh, maybe, do you know how many trees you've planted in your lifetime? In my lifetime? Uh, well, there's about three or four years in a row that I was in charge of putting four and a half million trees in, in the ground per year. So wow. total, total, I would probably guess maybe 40 to 50 million trees in that, in that time period. That's pretty darn impressive. Wow. You know, and it's, it's something that accumulates over the years as you keep working. But there was a period there where I was working in an office. I wasn't directly involved in any kind of tree planting. But if a person was to do that every year in, in 35 years, you would be you would be reaching a pretty sizable number and certainly be contributing to to all these issues on carbon management. That's for sure. You got to ask a guy like that how many trees he's planted in his lifetime. All right, let's uh, jump into the interview. So I asked Noel to explain the difference between agroforestry, civil pasture and alley cropping. So we're going to get to that in a second. He also talks about shelter belts and eco buffers quite a bit, but he doesn't explain the difference to the very end of the interview. So Derek's quick version, shelter belts, three rows of trees, grass in between. Eco buffers, five rows of trees, shrubs, and bushes. I also want to point out this is the very first podcast episode we produced using Zoom. Because of the COVID-19 crisis, obviously I can't do these interviews in person anymore and I can't use a recording studio anymore. So I'm hoping the quality, the audio quality of the interview is going to be okay. Agroforestry is, is sort of a generic or generalized terminology to say anything that's being done that involves agriculture and forestry. And usually it implies to the same piece of ground or parcel of land. Uh, so uh, there is a number of ways that you can implement agroforestry, and that's that's where you get into things like shelter belts, alley cropping, silvopasture. Those are all different techniques of implementing ag uh, agroforestry. And alley cropping is um, has been around for probably as long as people have been around, and so is silvopasture. It's just uh, the difference in between the two. The silvopasture inc incorporates animals. So you're providing an area for animals to, to feed and to be sheltered. And that could be cattle, it could be goats, it could be sheep, any kind of animal that you're trying to manage, domestic animal. Um, and even in some cases, um, there is alley cropping or elk type combinations, which would fall under the silvopasture uh, definition. Alley cropping itself is usually only two aspects, and that's trees and some sort of form of growing agricultural crop. And the crop could be hay or forage crops. It could be barley, it could be wheat, it could be canola. doesn't matter what type of crop is. Uh, but the idea is that you're trying to do dual crops on the same piece of ground. So one crop would be the woody species of the trees. 
The second crop would be the agricultural crop. And by doing that, you're actually promoting your own return on the land. So it's not singular yield, it's multiple yield. And that's where that's the three different types. There's some other unique area, uh, types of agroforestry that you might encounter in um, either in the Central America or Asia. They do their own form. Of, and uh, actually, agroforestry is a big um, program in Hawaii and uh, some of the Pacific Islands because they have a limited space. So they, they grow as much as they can on that same piece of ground. And they've designed systems that work well for all of their, their crops. In Alberta, agroforestry used to be a much bigger um, component of our program. And that's from the first time when people came to Alberta and started clearing land, started growing agricultural crops. Um, over the last 40, 50 years, it's sort of gone down uh, as the amount of it that's in use, primarily because of uh, technology and equipment. Um, year trees are in the way of equipment usage. They're also potentially can cause damage to your fences. They can also cause, and they can be a hindrance to running equipment. So that's one of the big reasons why trees were cleared is they seem to be in the way in, with, from, a, some, from a mindset of certain types of agriculture. And as the equipment got larger, more trees were taken down. And that's why you had less, less of that combination of agriculture and forestry. But um, it's starting to make a, to do a rebound because people are realizing that having trees on the landscape changes the environment. It, it helps control wind, it helps control snow, and it actually can help control the moisture in the soil. So, by, uh, so they become an advantage versus a disadvantage. And that's where people are realizing that now and you're starting to see more of an interest in doing it uh, versus uh, say 23 years ago. Uh, like, what do you think accounts for this renewed interest? Is it just because, like, now the information's available? We know stuff now we didn't know 20, 30 years ago? Like, what, what, what's changed? I think it's a combination of things. Um, it's a new generation. A new generation of people. Like, the, the first settlers that came to Canada, uh, or to Alberta, I guess, were, were given a recommendation that they should grow as much agricultural crops as they can. So how do you do that? You clear the area and you get, get the area prepped to plant agricultural crops. Uh, trees were, the policy then almost was that trees were a hindrance to doing that. So they followed the policy, they followed the advice. And after a while that became standard practice. Uh, that's continued right into, into probably the generation that's now handing off the farms to the younger generation. The younger generation have grown up with a little different sort of education. And they realize that there's an environmental value to having trees. And it's not like, so you got to share that, share the values on that land and not just solely focus on one thing. So that's one of the things I think it's just a generational change. The other is that uh, we're seeing some degradation of the soil as a result of removal of all the trees. And in the 1920s and 30s, we had that severe wind, wind issues in southeastern Alberta that actually spawned or created the shelter belt program. And a lot of shelter belts were planted as a result of those issues. And now we're seeing the, a, a new issue come up, which was really carbon management. So that was one of the factors. And that's that actually drove the no-till type of approach, but it's also driving uh, the intent to have more uh, ability on your land to capture carbon. And that's, trees are one of the sources, the major capture sources for, 
for carbon. So people are seeing it from that perspective. So it, it's really a combination of, um, of a different sort of background, different education, and also just the gen- a new generation realizing that they need to diversify their land versus singularly look for one type of one type of yield. Trees are nice, but on-farm benefits to having trees are even nicer. I asked Noel to talk about the agricultural benefits of an alley cropping system. Well, the, the trees do provide us some real good physical function. So they will slow down, they will reduce the wind effects. They will control the snow more. And indirectly, they actually modify the amount of moisture in the soil in, within a certain proximity of where the, the trees are, are growing. They also do things like provide habitat for a lot of different animals. And they provide habitat for native pollinators, which are both areas of, of interest now by a lot of people, especially the pollinators, because we're seeing a lot of the native bees, slowly the populations have been dying off. And now with planting more trees and shrubs, you actually can reverse that, that loss of those species. So those are about four or five features that you don't get if you don't have trees on that same parcel of land, if you just have agricultural crops. And the biggest other one is carbon capture. And there is a number of studies being done in Alberta now to show, to demonstrate the effects of, of that um, uh, adjacency effect in related for agricultural crops in relation to trees. And then also the carbon capture effect. The difference on the amount of carbon that's captured and retained by a tree type site versus a, just a, pure, a true agricultural crop. The wind will decimate your soil if it's exposed. It'll also dry it right out in the summertime. You'll lose the soil moisture content considerably if you don't have trees in there abating the wind. And around homes or any kind of properties, buildings, winds will save you a lot, a tremendous amount in energy cost. And that's for both uh, you know, electricity and gas, but also for cattle or animals, it actually provides them shelter and they do put on more weight. So they, they have less heat loss in the wintertime. So then they actually gain more weight and you get more yield out of, the, out of that, that crop. Um, but wind itself is pretty phenomenal in what it can do. And anybody that's been around high wind storms, can it can just totally destroy anything in its way, right? And then with snow, if you don't control snow, it, does, it generally goes wherever the wind is going to set it. And we've seen incidences where if you put your shelter belts or, or, uh, or force it areas in the wrong spot, you can have snow banks the height of a building, which is not beneficial in a lot of ways. But so if you design it right, you're actually reducing a lot of that, a lot of that damage that's caused by the snow. And you're also controlling the moisture that comes out of the snow. And if you had uh, intermittent uh, strips of trees across a field, you would probably change that soil moisture content by 15 to 20% by raising it, especially on sites that are drier and they're, they're well-drained. So you can actually improve the growing capability and the yield by just having that intermittent uh, trees and crops, which is alley cropping. While alley cropping does reduce the amount of area you can put into agricultural crop, you're giving up some area for tree, for tree growth. Uh, but the yield on in between there has been shown by studies in the U.S., uh, that you can increase your yield up to 20% as you move away from the treed area. Right close to the treed area, you'll lose a little bit of yield because the trees are competing for nutrients and moisture. 
By the time you're five meters away, you start seeing an increase in yield. And by the time you're 20 meter, 20 to 25 meters away, you can actually see a 20% increase in that yield of that crop, that agricultural crop. And that's directly related to the fact that that adjacency relationship with the trees that are growing nearby. And the major, major factors for that is wind, reduce, reduction of wind, control of the snow, and therefore the in, increase in moisture in the soil. And making um, with increased moisture, it actually makes the uh, nutrients in the soil more available to the, to the growing crop. Uh, yeah, is it possible also like the trees are pumping more carbon into the soil too that would also help? Uh, well, they, they would trap the carbon, but it would stay within the woody area. But if you, depending on the species that are growing in the treat area, you could actually be providing new, more nutrients like nitrogen into the soil. There are a lot of nitrogen fixing plants. They aren't trees, but they're shrubs. They could be growing in conjunction with the trees in that, in that alley area. And they would be providing added nutrients to the soil for the adjacent agricultural crop. Yeah, but the carbon is- told me like carraganas are nitrogen fixers, is that true? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got to cut that part out. <laughs> don't 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 uh, don't spread that theory because okay. we're trying to get rid of, we're trying to get rid of carrigans. Oh, we have a lot. Okay. Of, <laughs> Jeez. All right. Yeah, we have uh, native species of shrubs that do are are nitrogen fixers, and we actually have a list at Oz that identifies uh, the seventy four native species in Alberta of trees and shrubs, and what their physical characteristics are, but also whether they fix nitrogen or not. And there's about seven or eight of them that you could plant in there. And if you plant them along the outsides of the alley, that nitrogen would find its way into the adjacent uh, agricultural crop area and would be providing more fertilizer, uh, natural fertilizer, rather than sprayed on to that crop. So there's a, there's a lot of things that you can do to design this to actually promote increased yield for both the tree area and the non-treed area. And of course, you're, you've got a secondary crop on there, which is the trees. If you ever want to utilize the trees for some kind of a product, you could always go in and remove some of them in the future once they get to a certain size. And you can actually sell them from an, from an economic standpoint or use them for things like firewood or, you know, a variety of personal uses. Right. So there is that other crop, which is not traditionally there if you're only growing agricultural uh, grains or forages. Well, I think generally in the past, it's been more of a, a combination of, of trees and forage crops. So hay, alfalfa, clover, something that you're providing to your cattle and you can use it either as pasture or even just, just cut it and bale it and then provide the hay to the animals in another location. Just because of the type of land that you generally use, um, trees will grow anywhere as long as they're well-established. Some crops won't grow, agricultural crops won't grow as well on some soils. So it all depends on the, the, the soil classification that you're working with. And class one, two, and three soils are, are generally what's used for, for your better agricultural crops, like your cereal crops and canola. Once you get below class three, those crops don't grow that well on there. And that's where you'll find the combination of trees and, and hay or alfalfa primarily on class three and four type soils. Um, we, we've looked at different projects. There's in fact, the Canola Council of Alberta is interested in, in this concept and they're starting to promote the use of shelter belts and, and, uh, alley cropping as a new technique. So that's another change in the industry 
is the canola council and the canola producers are realizing that there is some value in having trees on their land. So we may have a project coming up where we would actually have an alley cropping design with canola as the agricultural crop. But most of the ones we've done so far have been more of the hay, the forage type crops. So either some form of hay for cattle feed. We promote use of native trees, native species because of the, the environmental value to it. And also just from the durability of them. Like a lot of the shelter belt trees that were planted in Alberta from about 1950s to even just not too long ago, uh, they brought in fast growing trees or species, but they weren't native. A lot of them now have, they have a shorter lifespan in Alberta than they did where they were native to. So you're starting to see an awful lot of die off and that's the Manitoba maples, Carrianas, um, what else, uh, hybrid poplars. A lot of them will grow very fast, provide you that really quick shelter, but their longevity isn't there. Like if you plant native aspen, native poplar, spruce, those type of species. So we generally recommend using native species and that's both trees and shrubs. And that list is there available for anybody that wants to look at it and determine what they want to plant on their property. And we'll sit down with them and we'll, we'll advise them on this particular site. These are the species that will grow the best because some species are, are uh, drier site species. Others are mesic or, or wetter site. And if you plant them on the wrong site, they won't survive very well. In fact, you might lose them all. So that's part of the process is advising landowners on which species they should put on that particular site. And uh, it's, you want to go with combinations because trees grow in combinations naturally. In fact, they have their own associations. So uh, if you separate them and put them in non-related associations, a lot of times they'll compete with one another, one of them will die, or they just won't, neither one will survive very well because they don't have that relationship. And most people don't realize that, you know, native species of trees and shrubs have built a relationship over millions of years, uh, you know, why not stay with that relationship? You're going to have the best result when you're doing the planting. It's a good idea, and I'm pretty sure most egg producers are aware of this, but to remember how dependent we are on that snowmelt here in Alberta to produce food. If you remember back to our water and adaptation episode with Dr. Souchin of the Prairie Adaptation Research Collaborative, he mentioned that almost half of our precipitation comes as snow here in Alberta. And that first episode we did on agroforestry with retired federal scientist Gary Bank, he mentioned that if snow blows about two to 300 meters almost 70% of it could sublimate. So that means it just disappears into the atmosphere. So you lose the moisture that way. But if you throw in an alley cropping system, so put those rows of trees in there, get trap that moisture on your land and comes in handy in a drought year. So let's say you're an agriculture producer, listen to this episode maybe, and by the end you decide, what the heck, I wanna go with an alley cropping system. But what are the next steps? Well, first of all, you have to decide what your objectives are. And, you know, you, you uh, obviously are thinking of looking at multi-crop yield if you're, if you're looking at that concept. Um, and then when you decide your objectives, you can then design your layout because you can have a variety of different kinds of layout, um, you know, based on your own objectives, but also the terrain that you're dealing with. And a lot of cases, what you might do is grow the trees in the fringe areas of your fields 
because then you're not taking away the higher productive site for from your agricultural standpoint. But in those sites, it's fine for growing trees and shrubs. There's enough nutrients in that and moisture. So you would then you would then maximize the growth on particular parts of your land. And then you also have to look at your equipment size and design it so that you can still operate with your equipment. And for example, I mean, you could make your, your alley of agricultural crops three times the width of your, your equipment width. That way you can do three passes and you're not constricting your operations. You also leave a, a, a laneway at one end so that you can bring your equipment in there and you're not, you're not affecting your equipment in any way and you're not damaging the treat areas in any way. Um, if you're going to do this for forage for cattle, you design it so that it, there's an optimum distance for wind control. And generally, uh, a 20 meter tall tree will deflect wind up to 60 or 70 meters in distance. So if you had your your tree space, your your actual forage alley about 70 meters wide, the cattle would never feel the wind because it would be it would be shunted above the treetop and it would stay at that level until it got past that area of of, uh, of activity. So you could essentially have almost uh, no effects on your cattle, like it'd be complete sheltering in the summer in the summer and the winter time. So there's a lot of things that you want to factor in and how you design it. Uh, and then you would then look at trying to find a way to build it after it's designed. And Oz can do both of those for a landowner. Uh, we can meet with them. We can actually help them design it. We can walk the area. We can decide the optimum place to grow the trees and to grow the agricultural crops. And then we can help them organize the project and actually deliver on the project, go in and plant it and everything like that. So so that's one of the one of the features about Oz is that we have the professional expertise and the ability to do the work for the landowner because most landowners wouldn't be able to do this on their own. This does sound familiar, doesn't it? Figuring out your goals first before you move on to the well head down and ass up phase. I've never taken the holistic management course before, but as far as I understand, that that's how it begins or at least that's how it works setting those goals first, then moving on to action. Now, finally, we've come to the part of the episode where Noel explains the difference between a shelter belt and an eco-buffer. Well, the shelter belts have been around, like I said, since about the 1930s as a result of, of, a, of a program that was initiated by the federal government. Um, they are more of a, a tradition. They, they have a traditional layout design. Uh, you can either have a three-row or a five-row shelter belt. Most of them that were built were five, were three rows because every row takes up some more productive land and takes it away from agricultural production. And so for a three row shelter belt, you need about 20 meters of width. For a five row, you're getting up to 30 meters. So that's quite a large area to set aside, basically 90 feet if you're looking at it from, an, from a different measurement. Um, so most shelter belts are three meters wide and they're in rows. And in between the rows, there was grass. So they require initial planting, but they require ongoing maintenance of some kind in order to reduce that grass growth. And that's where a lot of farmers actually let the cattle graze in there once they get to a certain size and the cattle actually reduce the grass uh, level. But you'll find three rows of trees. So one row will be carrigana, one row would be manitoba maple, one row would be white spruce, something like that. 
And they did that a lot. And they used to have packages that would, they would give out to the farmers, uh, landowners. And that's what they would get is this three row shelter belt package. And they could pick between uh, about three or four different varieties. And that's it. The only one that was native in that package was the white spruce. The rest were all non-natives. So that's a shelter belt. Uh, the shelter belt, because of that design, actually provides certain features. And that's the wind control and snow control. That's about all it does. The eco buffer, on another hand, is more of trying to replicate a natural forest environment. So it's a mixed species. There's about, uh, in some cases, we've done up to 12 different species on one eco buffer. And that's trees and shrubs. And they aren't in rows. They are in rows, but they're not in rows, if, that, if you understand. They're, they're mixed. Uh, in the one row, you'll have, you could have white spruce, you could have aspen, you could have dogwood, and you could have Saskatoon all in the same row. So they're all different heights. Uh, they're all, they're all, they'll all grow to a different size and a different, have a different physical characteristics, but they're all in the same row. And you repeat that, that, that pattern as you build it. Um, that way you don't have only certain species in a row. You have a multi-species row rather than a single species row. So it looks more like a natural forested environment. Um, the spacings are a little less so that over time the trees will infill. And in, within about 10 years, you won't even be able to identify the rows. It'll be one complete growth of, of uh, both trees and shrubs. And some of the photos we have are pretty phenomenal that were done. And the first ones were built in Saskatchewan in uh, about 18 years ago. And it was tried out for a while. And then the idea kind of disappeared. And then we've started using it now about four or five years with Oz. And we've built uh, probably about 10 different locations now in the province of eco buffers to provide the same functionality as a shelter mill. So does that explain the difference? That was fantastic. Uh, but a quick follow-up to that would be for an alley cropping system, or the, the trees or the, uh, you know, the, the bit that's not the crop, I guess. Are, are we talking about doing eco buffers or shelter belts or is it really just a matter of personal preference here? It's, it could be a personal preference. Um, I would recommend doing an eco buffer. And what we would normally do there is two eco buffers side by side. We'd essentially double, double the width of the eco buffer. And then you'd be looking at about 25 to 30 meters wide of eco buffer, which would be your alley, your treed alley. And in between there, you'd have your agricultural alley and you can make that any width you want, depending on what sort of wind feature, uh, wind, wind control you want to have. But um, if you want more details on this, the eco buffer, we have a couple fact sheets that go through a lot of detail on how, on what, how they're built how you design them and how you uh, actually plant them and stuff like that. So, so it's good information for an individual to read up. And then there's a lot more details in there and it does show the pattern and all those kind of things. So. Great. Thanks. If somebody has a half an hour to read, they could read that probably in half an hour and have a much better idea other than what me explaining it. But, uh, but I would say if you were to do an alley cropping, I would recommend doing the eco buffer style rather than the traditional shelter belt and double the width and you have a, you'd have a really good area that's treed and it'd be a combination of, of overstory trees, which will get to 20, 22 meters in height. And then all the way down to shrubs that are maybe a meter or two meters in height type of thing. So. Any of those like fruit trees we can grow out here, like crab apple tree, I guess they're not quite native, are they? But I'm just wondering if any fruit trees could work into this. Well, choke cherry, 
Saskatoon, Pincherry, Highbush Cranberry. Uh, those are four that just come to mind that are native species that produce uh, berries. If you want nuts, there's a beaked hazelnut. Uh, and there's another species in Alberta, but most of the nut species come from Manitoba and Ontario. But if a person wanted to incorporate those in there, they could. And you'd have you'd have a few non non Alberta native species, but like a bur oak will grow here, uh, things like that. And you can bring them in and, and plant them. It's just that they won't they'll grow much better if they're in conjunction with other species than just by themselves. So on something like that, I would plant predominantly native species and maybe throw in, intermix some uh, some of the bur oak or some of the other nut species, and then you'd have a variety of both uh, berries and uh, nuts. You might be able to grow crab apple better under that type of site, uh, but then you those those tend generally require more hands-on maintenance than native species. So it's something as a landowner you'd have to commit at least the first few years to really help those trees survive and put in that time and effort. Seriously, I, I like the, the less work version of all this. So definitely native species sounds like the way to go to me. Well, we recommend the native species, but again, it's up to that landowner. If they want to go to a, a broader variety, that's up to them. We would never say, no, we won't do it unless you start bringing in uh, certain species from Russia and China. We would try to stay away from them. Like Cariana, Siberian Larch. <laughs> Right, right. I will make sure I make put a big and bold letters on the website. Uh, no carrigana and uh, the carrigana oh, yeah. scourge. <laughs> yeah, they are close to being declared a weed in Alberta. Are you kidding me? In, really? Yeah. No, because they're 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 invasive, and once they're established, it's almost impossible to get rid of them. And that's why they're falling. They're getting close to being considered a weed. Seeing shelter belts in action in Alberta, it's pretty easy. Practically every farm and ranch in this province has some sort of shelter belt going around the house. Eco buffers, on the other hand, that's a little trickier. The only place that really comes to mind is Sunrise Farms, so Marie and Don Rizika's place in Killam. Which, a little side note here, I realized after re-listening to the episode I did with Don Rizika, so episode 25, you got to be really careful how and when you say the name of that town. There's one part of the episode I, I literally said I drove out there to Killam. I was talking about Killam, Alberta, but it did kind of sound like I said I drove out there to kill them. I can assure you, as far as I know, Marie and Don Rizika are alive and well. Now to check out an alley cropping system, I'm not 100% sure where you go. Uh, the one name that does come to mind with alley cropping is Mark Shepard, and I think he's in like Minnesota or Wisconsin. There is a possibility, and I'm not 100% sure if it is an alley cropping system, but I do know that Cohen Farms, so in Farintosh, they experiment a lot with trees, so there might be something similar to an alley cropping system there. There's also the opportunity to check out the research site the University of Alberta is running at Kalmar, so in Leduc County, but honestly, that's more of a shelter belt. But what they are doing there is quite cool. Uh, they're measuring carbon sequestration there. It's where we did our agriculture forestry field day in 2019 so last year um, noel did mention there is a place between high level and peace river that sounds like an, an absolute paradise for people who are enthusiastic about alley cropping civil pasture just agroforestry it's near manning and it's called murdoch lake 
Well, Murdoch Lake was established in 2003 or 2002 was the first year it was, it was set up and planted. Uh, they had a bit of trouble in the, in the uh, survival in 2002, so they had to replant it in 2003. So the current one uh, has been in place since 2003. So the trees are essentially 17 years old now. Um, they were, it was a project that was set up by Ducks Unlimited, uh, by the provincial government and the federal government, by one of the local forestry companies, and then Oz was involved, but in Oz's previous version, not the current Oz. Um, they did the project, they set it up, the trees grew for about six or seven years, and the idea behind the project was to do an alley cropping type of approach. Only thing they did there was it's just one species, so it's a hybrid poplar that they planted. And in between, in the alleys, the agricultural alleys, the alleys they've been using for hay. So that's one of those sites that'll grow forage crops well, but won't grow bar the cereal crops like barley and wheat or canola. So that's an example of where they, they identified the site limiting factors and went with trees and, and alfalfa or, or clover. They used it for the first three years as a civil pasture type project. So they had uh, cattle in and the cattle helped control the grass under the trees and the cattle also fed on the on the, the hay so and what wasn't eaten by the cattle they actually bailed and they used they used it for a while and then after about three or four years they realized that the cattle component was just too expensive because it's not a big area and to transport cattle there for a short period of time it just the economics just weren't there so it's actually been primarily two crops that they're focusing on and that's the trees and the the hay, which is harvested every year. It sat for about seven or eight years and then they did some measurements. So there is some actual scientific measurements that they took on, on the amount of yield that was produced by both the, the trees and the, the uh, hay crop. And then the funding ran out in 2011. So it's been there on Ducks Unlimited property since 2011 without much in anybody, any, anybody involved in it. And then we reinitiated it about a year and a half ago. And now it's a full-fledged scientific project. Uh, Nate is Nate, our Center for Boreal Research, is actually involved in doing the research. And they'll be measuring the project for the next four or five years. And one of the big things they're measuring is the amount of carbon that's being captured by the trees and the and also the amount of uh, carbon that's being captured by the hay crop. So there's some comparison there. And then also the increase in yield for both uh, trees and, and uh, hay. And eventually in 2030, the company is supposed to harvest the trees and the trees would become a crop for both the landowner, Ducks Unlimited would get some revenue from it, but also the forest company would use it to produce. I think it's primarily gonna be going for pulp. So that's kind of the dual crop type thing. So you have your annual crop, which is your agricultural crop, and then they'll have uh, a crop from the trees about approximately 25 to 30 years from the time of establishment. And that concept could be used anywhere on private land. On a, you know, on, if you own your land, you could set up that approach. This is a small project. Uh, it would be nice to see it expanded. So what we've done is look at expanding it. So now we have three different sites in Peace River that we're going to be doing the same thing. Uh, different locations, different soil conditions, different type of characteristics. We're also looking at trying to set one up here in central Alberta, which would be potentially set up next year in 2021. And it would have potentially four different sites. We would replicate that. So you'd actually have 
seven different seven different sites across the province where you could measure and demonstrate the value to a landowner to go to this kind of an approach, which is an alley cropping type of a project. So that's a quick rundown of Murdoch Lake. Um, it will be down. it will be interesting uh, what happens over the next few years and see what the and Nate is supposed to publish a few research papers as a result of the study. So there'll be a scientific component to it. And we're going to use the information in a lot in our in our extension and our workshops to demonstrate it to landowners that this is a, a viable alternative from a standpoint of agricultural activity, at least north of Edmonton and on the west side of the province. You may not be able to, you may not take this kind of approach too much towards central Alberta, but there's potential in central Alberta that you can do the same thing. It would just require a lot more maintenance just because of the sites that you're dealing with. You mentioned you guys are hoping to do like a phase two in central Alberta. Any idea where those sites are going to be or are you still figuring um, that part out? We're still working the details out, but they'd likely be west of Edmonton and potentially one actually out towards um, in in the grasslands uh, over towards uh, south of Viking in that area. But three out of the four sites would be west of Edmonton. And uh, so they would be more in the parklands, the boreal type sites. So this is where I would say that alley cropping is probably your biggest, you know, area that you could utilize it to the largest extent. But the one over by, um, it's out down in the Painters County area, south of Viking, that would be more of bringing in species that are indicative of the grasslands where you don't normally have trees growing. So there's going to be that component to it is that you're, if you want to do this in this part of the province, you're going to have to put a lot of time and effort in order to get the trees to establish and grow properly because they don't normally, on natural trees won't grow there on their own, right? So this is, uh, you're establishing a plantation rather than a, than a natural type of site. Oh, I see. Okay, so then in some cases, like alley cropping might not be a good idea for your farm, depending on what part of the, like if you're in Southern Alberta, this might not be the, the best thing it's, to try? It, you could try it, but your, your chances of success would be lesser than if you were north of Edmonton just because of the growing conditions and that. Although down there, you could go to different species that grow better in that part of the province. You might have to move away from the native species to a certain extent, but you could still do it there. It just would require a lot more maintenance and, and uh, hands-on uh, work by a landowner than, than say north of Edmonton or west of Edmonton, that type of thing. Because okay. in some areas in the province, these trees and shrubs will grow on their own. They'll do very well. Other areas, they won't grow at all. So if you want to get that, if you want to substitute them into that area, that's where the, the management part of it comes in by the landowner. And if you're not prepared to put in that time and effort, you're better off maybe not to do it. Man, I would love to do a farm field day at Murdoch Lake one day. It must be something truly unique to behold. At the beginning of this episode, Noel mentioned Oz is about to unveil a new online tool sometime this year. Now me and him had a quick conversation about it after the official interview portion ended. Uh, so we're going to roll that clip in a second, but the best uh, summary or synopsis I can give you the tool, it's almost like a, a Google for figuring out what native trees, shrubs, and bushes are the right fit for your land. That species list I told you about, we're actually building a online search engine for it. Very so cool. it'll be so it'll be uh, uh, in a database and it'll have a search engine capability. So you could, if you enter uh, three or four site characteristics, hit enter, 
it'll pull out all the species that'll grow on that site. Each one has a single page for each species, so it'll have all the characteristics of that tree. Uh, it's uh, what what site characteristics it needs and photographs. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, we're it's being built right now by our service provider, and hope, I was hoping that it would be ready to test here this month, but they're they've been slowed down because of COVID. Okay. And it would be on our website, so there'd be a, a link, a tab right there on the website that click you click native species database, and it would open it up, and then somebody could go in and do a search for any species, and as long as, like I said, they have four or five site characteristics they need, they would need to know. Mm. And then after that, they can do a search for different species characteristics. So once they generate a list of maybe 30 species, then they can narrow it down by saying, okay, I want a tree that's going to grow 20 meters tall. It's going to have flowers, this type of thing. So then you can narrow it down to exactly the tree characteristics that you want to have there. But it's going to be, it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty, pretty neat, I think, when you think about it. It's the only one that I know of that's built. There was one. I think there might have been a grass, uh, native grass is one that was built by another organization, but it wasn't like there wasn't 74 species. It was much less. Mm. That's cool. We've had this, we've had this list for about six, seven years on in paper form as a spreadsheet, right? And we finally got the money from the government to build a, a database, online database and search engine. So. Oh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be nice that's going to be on our website and then the other thing that'll be on the website is a, a manual on how to manage shelter belts so all aspects of shelter belt establishment maintenance and rehabilitation will be on the website so it'd be nice to have all that on the website plus a pod, podcast like this mm. to, to walk people through it you know to explain to people what what the values are so We've come to the end of this episode and Noel's final words. Now, I like how he points out that agroforestry can work in many parts of the province, just not all parts of the province. And you know what? That's okay. You want a diversity of life and species on your land, and I'm assuming we want a diversity of life and species in this province. There's as much beauty and value to our grasslands as there is in our boreal forest. And this is coming from a guy who still complains from time to time that there's not enough trees in Alberta. I'll get over it one day. I think it's a, it's a viable alternative for certain types of agricultural producers. And a lot of the organic farm, organic producers now are starting to go this way. Because uh, definitely you want to reduce the amount of chemicals you use. And you also can, you know, you don't necessarily need the big equipment. So you're not trying to, you're not running these huge combines and swathers and that. Uh, that's a benefit to you to do this approach. Uh, once you get into the alley cropping approach for a while, most farmers would realize the value of it. And we've talked to some people in northern Alberta that said, I can't understand why we cleared the trees. We were getting better growth, crop growth before the trees were cleared. But now they have to start reversing that. And, and some of them are. Some of them are saying that, but not necessarily wanting to put the time and effort to do it either. But I think it's an approach that could be promoted a lot more over the next five years. And with the information from Murdoch Lake, we can then use that to educate landowners on this approach and the values of it. And when you can demonstrate to them that they might actually get an economic gain by doing it, that's the first step. Then you can show to them what else they're getting from an environmental standpoint. And a lot of times that's enough to sell them on, on doing this and putting the time and effort to establish it. 
And a lot of the a lot of the agricultural associations in Alberta now are really starting to recognize that and they're really starting to promote it also. And the one project we're doing in Alberta that we're just trying to get going here, we have uh, eight different agricultural research associations involved in that project. Supporting it. So so it's definitely becoming a new kind of concept in Alberta as far as have establishing trees and doing it in a way that's that provides that benefit the multi multi benefit type of approach that's a, that's not really like a huge paradigm shift for agriculture like you said like you said at the beginning of a conversation going from like we got to get rid of as many of these trees as possible because they're in the way to like oh no let's try and find a way to work with them yeah it, it is quite a shift from and again it's generational right um the older farmers, the ones that are retiring now, they're much harder to sell on it than younger farmers. Uh, but again, they grew up with a certain thinking way of thinking. Um, the younger farmers are coming in, and I think they've been they've been given this kind of information in a variety of different sources, uh, and they're a little more open minded to alternative our agriculture. And I think in some ways down the road that'll become even more common. The more you can promote to them that there is both an economic value and an environmental value. And that's, I think, the big thing for anybody that wants to. And especially with a lot of the um, the, the requirements now to do carbon management, that's really also promoting it a lot more. There is only one really great source of carbon capture, and that's trees. As long as you can maintain those trees and they can still survive, right? Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is a Alberta-based project empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots is a project of the Stetler Learning Center in East Central Alberta, and we run webinars, produce this podcast, run a farmer's blog, and we also do workshops and farm field days. And don't forget, we have the Solar Lab. The Solar Lab is all about empowering communities in rural Alberta to develop their own community-owned renewable energy projects. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website www.rr2cs.ca. The small but mighty Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Deandra Brucehead, Marie Galanka, and myself, Derek Leahy. Aaron Wilkie, Kimberly Cornish, Mark Fox, and Dana Penrice sit on the advisory committee of Rural Roots. This episode, since technically I was in Calgary and Noel was in Edmonton, that means this episode was recorded on Treaty 6 and Treaty 7, as well as Métis Regions 3 and 4. The episode was edited by Kieran Mountain of Mountain Media. And funding for this episode was provided by the Government of Alberta and Energy Efficiency Alberta. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the farm is usually good for the climate.